Hey, what's up to the point, listeners? Listen up to the point. Like my joke? That was like a tall Paul joke. I apologize for wasting your time. Seriously, happy holidays from all of us over here to the point. Myself, tall Paul, the Jeff producer, Ryan, and Chelsea. We are so grateful that you tune in every single week. Thank you so much. My next favorite holiday would be Rhino X 2022, February 10th here in Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to allow 50 attendees this year. It is going to be a super intimate event. 10 VIP tickets will be available to go see and hang out and talk and strategize in a boardroom setting and also a banger event in the evening with Mr. Ken Goodrich, Leland Smith, Dave Geiger, Terry Nicholson. Oh, and by the way, you ever heard of Mike Tyson? He's going to be here too. And another surprise headline speaker that will be announced later. Listen, lastly, this is a season of thanks and giving, and we encourage you to give back, especially during these holiday seasons. So many kids go without during this season, and you can step up and help them out. Now enjoy another banger episode of your boys on To The Point. This is To The Point. A Rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what is up to the point listeners? It is your boy, Chris, host of To The Point Home Services Podcast, your favorite home services podcast, along with my co-host, Mr. Tall Paul. Tall Paul, what's up, buddy? It's my favorite podcast, too. I bet it is. So... Always good to see you, Chris. Today's one of those special days where I'm meeting someone that Facebook has told me for like seven years that I should be <laughs> friends with, and we are friends, but I am going into this conversation having never talked to this individual before, so I get to learn, I get to meet you for the first time, so I'm excited, like a kid in a candy store. Yeah, man, this is like one of those deals where it's, you know, um, you know, Chris, we've had, we have, we've had, this is... I think we're 94, no, yeah, 94 episodes in, 95, somewhere around that. And we've had very few podcasts where we've actually not really known the guest, you know, and, and some of those have been fun. One of them, we didn't know the guest at all, and I played a clip of uh, Danny Tanner um, <laughs> say, saying happy birthday right. to, uh, to to Tall me. Paul because yeah. he's basically Tall Paul's doppelganger. Uh, you see the resemblance, don't it's you? True. You can see the Danny Tanner. Uh, but yeah. anyhow, so this doesn't happen very often. But you and I have actually had a little bit of a dialogue back and forth, too, and it kind of sparked from a post, man, in a group about kind of something you that, that you are a part of that you believe strongly in, and I was anxious to kind of get it out and let the listeners hear because it's different than what we normally hear, um, and it's interesting. And so listeners, you're in for a real treat. We talk a ton about private equity and consolidation and all that kind of stuff on here because it's obviously so big and there's, it's been happening so frequently and it's just like out there that it was kind of refreshing to hear something that's the opposite of that. And so we'll get into it. But first I want to do something real quick, Paul. I always love, you know, when we get our reviews and things like that, you know, that's like for you and I, that's always uplifting for our guests that, um, you know, when somebody's leaving review and talks about the guests that was on, that's cool. We both got, we, we both get to win from that. But I've never quite gotten a handwritten card like I got today. So I walked into my office, and here sits this card on my desk. I like it. And Tell it was me more. A, it was a card from Nextar Network, which we are not a member of. But I am. I am, I am not a member of it. Rhino Strategic Solutions is not a member. However, I'm a supporter of it. 
Julian's my boy. Yes. But when I see a car from Nickstar Network, I'm thinking, what is that? And it is a card that was sent to Chris and Tall Paul. It says, I want to read this out loud. I've been a marketing I've been in a marketing workshop all week planning for 2022 as I've been as I've been planning I keep referencing all that I've learned on the to the point podcast. I may not be a business owner, but I find the info shared so underlined, insightful and useful. Thank you for all of the interviews and various topics. I try to execute them in our company, Champion Comfort Experts. I'm also excited to begin using Rhino as our digital agency in 2022, keep on doing what you're doing. Shout out to Joy Payne, marketing director of Champion Comfort Experts. Oh, Thank you so much for that wonderful. card. That Thank was you, fantastic. Joy. To get a handwritten and, card means a lot. You know, I have the privilege of knowing Joy and I will do this for her. She is an unbelievable artist. She is a, um, she sings and records music. She's a Christian music artist. Go to Spotify and look up Joy Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, and download the snot out of that, of her most recent single. She is wonderful. Thank you, Joy. Yeah, it's called Hold On. I'm glad you did that. I was going to do the same call out. See it right there? Oh, there you go. We're on the same page. Yeah, man. Wonderful. That 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 made our day, Joy. That was cool. And you have an awesome name. Joy Payne. Joy Payne. I felt both of them many times. Um, But also, listen, okay, so Paul. I'm excited for you to learn because I feel like I know more about this than you do. Actually, I know yes. I know more about this than you do. So I'm excited for you to learn and take away something new from this particular podcast too. But man, Chris, we're excited to have you on the on the show. And and um, I'll go ahead and do a quick introduction. I'll say some other things about you. But we have Chris Hoffman on, who's the president of Hoffman Brothers, uh, out of St. Louis, but now also in Nash, Vegas. But hey, Chris, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. I've listened uh, to a number of episodes now, and I really enjoy uh, enjoy the folks you have on and the content that they share. And uh, It's a great, great vibe, and you guys do a good job making it fun and entertaining. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be your favorite host. <laughs> top, top two for sure. I wasn't supposed to share that out loud. We were going to keep that a secret. Well, listen, like, uh, you know, the day we're recording this, the day before Veterans Day, and you are a veteran um, of the Marine Corps, which is birthday is actually today, uh, the ninth. What did you say it was? What's the what's the official year? November 10th, 1775. So I think our 246th birthday. Shout out to all the Marines. Oorah. Um, yeah, man, tomorrow is Veterans Day. So thank you for your service, man. You did some, like, legit, I was, you know, when I was doing some research, I saw you post a lot of pictures and you were... I know you put where you were, but I wasn't even going to try and like repeat it all. So where were you serving at? Cause you were over in the middle East somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Post, I saw a bunch of friends, veterans that were posting, uh, uh sharing things, sort of a nostalgic approach after, after seeing, uh, our departure from Afghanistan. And so I, I took that moment and shared some photos that I'd never uploaded that were on, on a device I had, but I was in, a uh, Helmand province, Afghanistan. Uh, and it was, a uh, part of the, the country wedged between uh, Iran and, and Pakistan. Got it. Got it. Crazy, man. Like we were just talking pre-podcast, you know, just about some um, different stories. And I was kind of sharing how my uh, great, my great uncle was in Vietnam and the stories he used to tell me and like how some of it just seems so unbelievable, like that it wasn't even true, but I mean, he wasn't making it up. It's just insane. And, and, uh, and man, like what an honor, man, to have, I love whenever I get to have a veteran on the show and kind of, and kind of brag on you a little bit and just kind of give thanks. So, man, appreciate you because none of the, like I, like I say, 
none of this, what we're doing is even possible without our veteran, without our soldiers. So I'm like incredibly grateful. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you saying that. And it makes you, uh, having been in an area of the, the world where they live in mud houses without air conditioning and plumbing, uh, <laughs> make you appreciate what we do all the more. I would imagine. I would imagine. <laughs> Hey, I want to give you a couple shout outs, man. Um, because one, I've heard of your company for a long time, Hoffman Brothers for a long time. You know, I've been in that in the St. Louis market for gosh, since early early on in me starting the company before it was even named Rhino. It was Brickyard Marketing back in the day. And um and we kind of started off in the Indiana, um, Southern Illinois, basically cook, you know, the Cook Air distributor brought us on board early on. And so um it's a pretty nostalgic thing for me, you know, and, and I love that market. I've been there so many different times, but you've had some pretty cool accolades, man. And one thing um, I want to give you a shout out because you were active contractor of the year. Um, I don't remember what year that was in. 2019, right? Was it 2019? Mm-hmm. So, right. uh, the know one, your Hoffman history. So this year is our customer. Thank you. Rhino's customers. Shout out to, uh, <laughs> Rosenberg. That's right. uh, oh, that's right. Both residential and commercial HB and Rosenberg. HB, Both my customers. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, but also, you, uh, this one is one that I love, and it seems like you're all about this too. And as I've gotten to learn more about you, um, understanding kind of your history, uh, I think this makes a lot of sense because you won the um, St. Louis Business Journal Best Places to Work. That's yeah. one of the coolest awards you can win, by the way. Yeah. But you know why I like it, Chris? It's because it's not, uh, you don't get that award by Chris Hoffman putting his hand in the air and saying how great Hoffman is. 100%. Yeah. It's third parties that administer those surveys. And then uh, it's validation to me that we're doing things the right way when it comes to how we treat people and the type of business we're building. Good for you. I honestly, as I, just from what I've learned and the conversations we've had, I wouldn't have expected anything different, man. You're an upstanding dude. I appreciate that about you. But I love that award. Um, we don't ever, you know, when I say we, I'm talking about Rhino. Um, we don't ever do the ink fastest growing companies, none of that stuff, because it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, that type of award means nothing to me. However, I have tried to, you know, get the ink best places to work. And it's, by the way, that's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to get done because it's very hard when you have a lot of employees to keep everybody happy. It is. Someone's like your snacks. Very difficult. Your snacks are, uh, that was certainly one that came up. You need more snacks. I don't even know how, but. It, but the number is still like, re, I mean, because the number to get that is so high that it's like exceptional as it should be. But it is cool to see like the feedback that we get from those, from those and us still being in the like, you know, mid 90% of like, you know, is such a cool thing. And for me, it's so meaningful, but can, kudos to you, man, for getting that. That says a lot about the culture of the businesses and how you guys run things. And that's probably the same thing, the same experience that, that uh, your customers get from you guys when they, when they choose Hoffman brother for service. So nice job, brother. I appreciate it. Learned a lot from uh, uh, my dad, which I hope we have the chance to talk about who uh, really laid a great foundation and sort of paved the path uh, and taught my brother and I uh, a lot when it comes to how to treat people and the way to build. Well, that's a great segue. And and I know that I want to give a quick shout to John Conway. He was your next star coach, you know, because we got that, um, you know, from joy was in her next star um, training and sent that over and you got the pleasure of working with John, with John Conway, great human being, um, been on the show before. Actually, he was on the show with Paul and Peterman, Chad, right? Like Peterman, Chad filled yeah. in for me. Cause I was in Peru, yeah. I think, or something like that. Um, but I would love yeah. to talk about your dad, man. I'd like to talk about the history of the business. I think this is probably as good a segue as any to just go into, you know, how did you get into the trades? 
you know, and basically where are you guys at today? Because you've seen some sweet little growth spurts happening. You've even went into different markets. And, and I did research, like, um, from an article I was reading about you on what your ongoing plan is in regards to markets. So I'm going to tee that up later. But let's go ahead and start with the history, you know, of, one, how you got into trades. I got a pretty good idea. But how you got into trades and then where the business is at today. Yeah, sure, of course. So uh, my dad, Robert Hoffman, started the business back in uh, 1988, and he actually took an uncommon path into the trades. He was, at the time, a mechanical engineer working for Anheuser-Busch, had his professional engineering license, uh, was working on a, a variety of projects with them. And one of the most, uh, one of the last projects he did was work closely with a mechanical contractor to air condition several of their facilities. Uh, and he loved that project. He loved the exposure into the trades. Um, and so he made up a choice at that point. He was 29 years old. He had three of his four kids and he uh, put in his two weeks notice at AB and enrolled in Rankin, which is a local trade school uh, and was the first mechanical engineer with the professional engineer's license to go through that evening program. Uh, and he jumped in a service truck during the day. Uh, and really an uncommon path into the trades. And I think it's important because uh, that engineering background, I, I think, was foundational in terms of establishing our focus on quality, the way we want to do business, uh, the installation standards that we have. Um, and so from there, we uh, we were an HVAC-only business up until 2011. At that point, we added uh, plumbing into the business. Uh, it, throughout that time in my life, I was uh, grown up around the business, right? I've, I've worked many summers for many of the managers here as their install apprentice. Uh, I've spent summers on the phones, on the CX team. I've been in the warehouse before I could drive. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be, I was chief scrapper, my dad likes to tell people. <laughs> Copper out of condensers uh, and sorting the different types of uh, uh, metal. Uh, but 2011, we added plumbing. 2015, we added electrical services to our business. And really a pivotal point uh, in the, the business's history was 2016 when we made the decision to join Nextstar Network. Surprise. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, John Conway called that. us. And I remember thinking at the time I had, uh, I joined the business in 2016 as well. I was, I was brand new back into the business full time after leaving the Marine Corps in 2014 and then using the GI Bill for business school. I just finished that. And I was, I was thinking I was pretty smart, you know, former, former captain and, and uh, had my MBA, those three letters. And, and I remember thinking, oh, you know, I, I could figure this out and figure out a way to do it and do it well. And man, would that have been the biggest mistake of my life not to have uh, listened to John Conway and join Nexar Network. Um, so when we did that, I mean, what, what Nexar gives you, as you guys are well aware, they, they identify best practices. And I like to say they've got a, a process playbook, a roadmap, right? And so we got that playbook, that roadmap in 2016, uh, and that was transformational for our business. We've grown over 30% annually, organically, each year um, um, since we joined Nexar Network. And it's been, been an incredible ride. Uh, and I think one thing that's been uh, exciting about this is we've been very intentional around uh, sharing that success with all of the stakeholders and all of the constituents that are driving this business forward and building it the way that we want to build it. Uh, and so what does that look like? Uh, things that, that have contributed to our, our best place to work award would be the way in which we, uh, for example, we, we, over this time period, we decided to pay 100% of health insurance premiums for employees and their entire families, right? Cadillac plan, one of our biggest line items, doubled our 401k match from 4% to 8%. Uh, this year, we added two additional paid holidays, Black Friday, Christmas Eve, um, uh, we eliminated on-call, 24-hour on-call. Guys hate that, right? Nobody, right. everybody yep. hates having to work by your phone till, till two in the morning, whatever it is. Um, and so we just, we listen to our team. We ask them what they care about as we continue to build the, the business and create success for the business. Uh, we've been very intentional about ensuring that we're creating wins for everybody on our team. 
dude, I'm going to go back, but one, um, you limiting on call is a big deal. Cause people are probably like, why would you do that? Like, uh, because if you, if have you, if you haven't noticed, like uh, recruiting is not easy and retention is a pretty big deal. Like, so you gotta, you really gotta take into consideration employee satisfaction and see the long term of that. That's not a, for some, I mean, that could be a difficult decision. I, I commend you for doing that. Ishmael, um, over at next gen friend of ours, cut out Sundays. <laughs> I mean, that's a big deal. Cut out a yeah. day, you know, and I thought that was pretty exceptional too. Um, I want to, I want to find Chris real quick on that. I think it's interesting. What you would find is uh, when you actually look at the number, actually look at the data, look at the call types, look at the revenue and identify how many are really emergencies. What you learn mm-hmm. is that the vast majority of those calls are not emergencies. Now that's not right. to say there aren't true emergencies, but we made an, an intentional decision to say we will create some unhappy customer outcomes over here. But the win on the team member side is so great. So much greater. We're willing to accept that trade off. Of course, man, that makes the most sense to me. I completely get it. I, I, I want to go back real quick because I want for our listeners to understand um, in 2011, and I want to know, in 2011, when you guys added plumbing, did you add plumbing by acquiring a plumbing company or did you bring in a plumber and build it organically? Uh, the latter. We, we brought in uh, some great people. Uh, our master plumber today was was with us right around 2011, a uh, gentleman named Christian, uh, incredible guy, incredible business builder, culture builder, cares more about this uh, this industry, our company, the trades, uh, the people on his team than, than anybody I know. And uh, so we, we decided to Greenfield. We said we've got this big base of HVAC customers. They love using us. They're asking us for these services. And I like to say we got tired of saying, no, we don't do that. Um, and so we figured out a way to serve our existing customers more deeply. Got it. So I'm going to ask a couple questions and, um, and hopefully you're open enough to answer them too. But I want to give our listeners context on the size of the company, the growth of the company to kind of set the stage on credibility. So it sounds like you're pretty open to sharing some of this stuff too, but um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but in 2000, but like before you added plumbing on what size was Hoffman brothers? I want to try and like step ladder through this roughly, roughly is fine. Yeah. That's a great question. 2011. I'm not, I'm happy to share too. I can, so I joined the business full-time in 16. If I had a guess 11, I would think we would have been like in the seven, $8 million range. Got it. Uh, not just spitballing here. Yeah, no, no. And that's fine. Like the point, I'm just looking for, you know, just something to kind of give us some guidance. And then, so sure. then you added electric and so then just before you came on, you guys as, was when you added electric and that was in 15. Yep. So you add electric on, which is tip like you follow. I feel like the typical pattern of HVAC add plumbing and then add electrical. Yep. Um, you joined Nexstar in 2016. You're seeing the, the 30% uh, YOY year over year, and uh, and yep. so where does um, where does Hoffman Brothers sit today? Like, what size are you yep. guys at today? So we were uh, in 16 when we joined Nexstar Network. We were a 10 million dollar business. Uh, today we're 55. Wow! Damn, man. Okay. Good for and you. Funded, uh, did all of that organically, which we're really proud of. And then Nashville, which we launched in uh, September of 2020, we anticipate 2022 uh, that business will be at $10 million revenue in calendar year 2022 from a greenfield without acquisition. We think we'll get our customer acquisition spend down to 8% or less of gross revenues at that $10 million run rate. And we think we'll be at over, we have been at over. 50% gross margins from day one. So for us, that was our the three ways that we've defined success in the new market. I believe you. I believe that's what you're going to do. My next question was asked, was going to ask, you know, what made you choose Nashville? Um, 
You know, because it's not like it's hot chicken. <laughs> Nash hot. Um it, it, maybe it's you really like music. <laughs> I don't know. But why what what made you get what made you choose Nashville? You know, it's funny. We uh Nashville, I wish I could say there was a very well reasoned objective lens or or set of criteria we applied to that decision. A couple just high level points that made it attractive to us. It was a growing market. Uh uh, yeah, I mean, it's, if you're there, you see more cranes in Nashville than um, than I've seen in any city across this country. It's just been incredible to see it grow. Uh, and then the, the other factor that was important to us, as we've talked about a little bit, Chris, was the uh, the difficulty finding talent. And we said, where can we go? Let's be intentional about going to markets uh, where what we can offer is truly unique and differentiated relative to what the market offers. Uh, and so in a market like Nashville, none of our competitors are paying 100 percent health insurance for employees and their families uh, or doing some of the other things that we're doing. So we're very intentional around choosing places where we think uh, what we have to offer is really compelling. Uh, and as you know, in the service business, your product is is the people. They're, they're the ones providing the service. Right. And, and for us, we need to make sure we were able to get the best people. Uh, and we felt that was a market where we could do that in. Uh, after Nashville, we've been a little bit more intentional around um, identifying some objective factors that that have led us to to be more methodical around how we're selecting new markets to follow Nashville. And we've got for us uh, the next three that th- we think we can uh, deploy this greenfield strategy in. Got it. So you've mentioned greenfield a few times. For our listeners who are not familiar with that, could you talk about that concept and maybe weave it into how you started in Nashville and what that looked like? Yeah. So in Nashville, we, uh, uh, so Greenfield is, we're not going to buy anything. We're going to go, we're going to relocate a team of people. We're going to hire people and we're going to start deploying our marketing strategy to get the phone to ring, right. To meet our daily call goal and and get calls, get opportunities on the board. So you're Uh, talking full-time relocate people or temporarily drop them in like, okay. So, Hey, company meeting in St. Louis, all hands on deck. Who wants to move to (laughs) to Nashville. That's what that looks like. Yeah. So there was a uh, asking folks on our team who was interested. And then there was a more a deliberate process around leadership selection. Right. Uh, Cause when you, when you went to a new market, as, as you all know, uh, uh, leadership boots on the ground are just incredibly important. Having oh, the right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's probably the single biggest determinant of success. And I can say the individual running our Nashville business, he's going to have my job one day. Um, so it, that's a good thing. Fun. That's what's your, that's the plan. And he started with us as a, a plumbing apprentice uh, not too many years ago. So someone that uh, uh, incredibly talented and ambitious and smart and driven. So you got your hundred and uh, was it fifteen thousand square foot building there or something like that? Was it my right? It was some huge. I saw a picture of it. SmartAC.com. SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. In, in St. Louis, we've got in this industrial park, we've cobbled together about a quarter million square feet back here uh, that will house. It gives us some option flex flexibility as we think about expanding the business and, and taking on more of those spaces. In Nashville, we which the, the confidence, which which you could either call stupid or, or confident, <laughs> uh, we went into Nashville on day zero buying a, a 20,000 square foot building a mile east of downtown. And I can tell you that's 
Nashville is more expensive per square foot than anywhere in St. Louis. Oh yeah. Uh, see that close to downtown, but we bought a 20,000 square foot building. Uh, we set a start date. We said September 1st, we're serving customers. We relocated the team down there in advance. Uh, there was a lot of uh, preparation effort that went into getting ready to, to show up on the, at the customer's house when we started getting those calls. Uh, and then we started hiring people. I, I remember we were interviewing a, uh, I went down there was especially with those first hires. I was so uh, interested in making sure we get the right people on the bus because uh, when your when your business has has seven people on day one, uh, the the impact you don't have room for anybody that's not an A player and no customers <laughs> and no customers. Yeah, right. your reputation will be determined by that first those first. <laughs> <laughs> you use our lingo, right? People on the bus. Yeah. Uh, hey, so I want to ask a question then too, is I think I read in the article too, you were trying to hit, I believe this is an article for, from 2020 that you were trying to hit eight new markets. Um, after Nashville, you had eight new markets. This could have changed. Obviously things change. I could be wrong on the number, but I knew you were going after more markets, um, by the end of, I don't know if it was like 2021, 2022, whatever is the point being is you Nashville's was just step one in a new market and there's more coming. You were just talking about it. What I want to know um, is you added plumbing in 11, electric in 15. Is there, is there uh, anything else on the agenda? You guys have appliance too, right? We do offer appliance. Yeah. Not, not a, a big part of our business, but we, we see a ton of demand and an inexpensive way to get calls. And cause those appliance, calls are opportunities. We'll run 50 appliance calls a day here and they're opportunities to talk about our home protection plan, serve those customers more deeply. And cross the cost of that call is much, much, much less expensive. Yeah, man. Cross sell. That's great. Are, are you, are you considering adding any other services? Like, is there anything on the, like on the agenda? Yeah, there, there's a great university here locally called Washington University, um, and they we've got a student team uh, that's leading an initiative for us around uh, uh, developing for us what a pest control market entry strategy would look like. I mean, ultimately, in, in, in our business, we're asking ourselves that there's two different ways to grow, right? We can grow geographically through our existing lines of business, or we can look how can we, can we serve our existing customers where we already are. Uh, and serve them more deeply uh, through different lines of business. And so we're, we're looking at both of those things concurrently. And I think we can move the ball forward with both of those things. You guys are a very purpose-driven company too, um, which I love, by the way. And so my assumption is, is that there's a purpose to everything that you're trying to to do and build. I'm so, you know, I don't want to ruin, because I'm going to go into the evergreen piece, but, um, and that's going to take me into it. But I'm just so curious to hear, um, in order to keep building this thing and growing this thing and me knowing what your plan is with the being an evergreen business is we talked about employees. It's so incredibly important to grow the business with having staff and minimizing turnover, which is a crazy problem in the industry to begin with. But you guys have a really high retention rate of employees. So you mentioned a few things that you're doing, like paying 100% of benefits and like the different things, giving the extra two days off. Um, but what is it like? What is it that you guys are doing that you think keeps turnover so low? It can't just be that. Like, there's got to be more to it. And and I really want listeners to pay attention to. We hear a lot of the same things over and over and over again in here, and it might just be that. But you know, I, we care so much. You know, at, at Rhino and even Paul, that contractor commerce is just about the um, culture of the company and like genuinely caring about 
your not just your customers, but your employees and trying to do all these things. And it gets more challenging. Like a business like mine, the bigger it gets, the more challenging it becomes to try and like do all the fun stuff to make everybody feel appreciated. But there's some fundamental things that you clearly are doing right because your retention, your retention rate of your employees is so high. Based on the article I read, I think the article I read was like 96% or something crazy like that. Like that's up there. What are you doing, man? Why are, why are people sticking around Hoffman Brothers? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. And that's something we, we look at a lot frequently and uh, uh, we place a lot of emphasis and focus on. Uh, to update you on the numbers, so January 1st of this year, of we were at 90% retention rate. Uh, we've fallen this year. If you look in August, uh, beginning of August, we were in the high 80s, 88%. And I think we're seeing in this labor-constrained environment uh, uh, crazy signing bonuses, a whole host of activities. But to be honest with you, Chris, when I look a little deeper, uh, it's easy to blame external factors on why people leave. But the reality is, uh, I think that the biggest drive of, of turnover in, in really any business, it's the old adage, people quit their boss, not they don't, they don't quit their company. And I think uh, through effective leadership, communication, building that relationship with the employee, making them feel like they're valued, cared for, uh, being intentional in that, making them see a bigger purpose at the business beyond just showing up for a paycheck. Those are the things that I think help you outperform your peer set. An extra dollar, $2, $5 an hour, more often than not, isn't the reason people stay. Yeah, man, I agree with that. I, I mean, I for sure think that's a big piece of it. You said um, you guys fell into like the high 80s. Listen, like this is a huge problem. I mean, we for sure aren't going to go down the political path, but uh, it's frustrating. Like even it's it's sometimes not the lack of applicants. It's a lack of qualified applicants. It's hard to get people and then to lose people is super frustrating. And, and so I do believe it's more than just money. I really I genuinely yeah. believe it's more than just money on making sure people want to be cared, like heard, cared about. But I do think you got to start to get a little creative, like maybe think outside the box and do something that's meaningful. Like it's like a bring in a massage person and give massages, like maybe something that's a little more put a little more thought into it to try and retain yeah. people and make them feel good about themselves. You know, it's interesting, Chris, when we I remember when we that journey from from 10 million to, to 50 million, there was this this uh, there was this tension between uh well, adding adding new leaders, that's overhead, right? And if, if you're in the field and you see having to increase the price and you see the impact it has on your, your business, um, th there was this resistance to, to adding those positions and the value that those positions would unlock. And I, I asked folks to trust me and, and, and I found the right people. We've got the right people on the bus and by developing them and empowering them and giving them the tools they needed, uh, we've got this robust, very deep management bench uh, at all departments and all levels in our company, uh, our overhead body, if you will, is, is bigger than it's ever been. But when you get the right people in those seats, they're going to unlock so much more value uh, than, than the cost, the marginal cost that you incur from having them in those roles. Now, all that being said, it's if you get the wrong person, it, the, the exact opposite things happen. But it's, it's so important to get those right leaders, empower them, put them in those seats, make them know what uh, what it is that they need to do. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's something that, that I remember our journey. It was just tough for us to make the, it was leaps of like, uh, just right. faith that you're putting these people, these people in place. And you had, you were wondering, am I going to get the return? Cause that's, that's a hundred thousand dollars that I could spend elsewhere. I'm lingering 
on something you said, I want to talk about investment strategy, but I'm lingering on something because earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you're kind of before and after the real trajectory of your growth was next star, but I'm going to push back on that a little bit, not to discount next star, but what you said a few moments ago was, um, you basically defined internal locus of control, right? So what happens to you is, or to your business is the result of you as opposed to an external locus of control, which is what happens to my business and what happens to me is a result of other things, the economy, unemployment. Did you learn that internal locus of control? Is that a military thing? Where did you learn that? And give me some examples of kind of how you've applied that to the business. Sorry, that's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> what a good one. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, interesting thought. I haven't really thought about that. Uh, I mean, yeah, listen, I believe, you know, Paul, ultimately there, there's a lot of bad things that happen in, in our business, right? And there's things that we have just like every business, big or small, uh, you lift up the hood and there's things that need to change and things that you wish could be different. Uh, and, and we've got plenty of those, those opportunities too. But uh, the reality is that I, I, I love to, uh, to say I, I had a hand in some of the great things, but I also love to uh, acknowledge that that uh, I have a hand in owning all the bad things that happen in our business too, and I yeah. I just view very much that that if we focus on the things that we can control, and this was the message going through the pandemic. This was a message uh, anytime we're faced with a challenge. If we if we let ourselves resign to all these external forces that are happening to us, that's not a very empowering outlook. And so yeah. I, I challenge folks all the time. Well, if you just focus on what you can control. Um, uh, I think you'll, you'll create great outcomes. You know, you know, the guy, Jocko Willink, oh, yeah. he, he, he was funny. I, I asked my man, there's this question when I saw retention, uh, we just had a PME, I call it professional management education. And it was around why people stay on your team. And after talking about the reasons people leave, I put up a picture of Jocko Willink. And I said, pretend he's sitting here looking at you. And I'm going to ask you all a question. What percent of these reasons that people left, do you think you could have changed the outcome? Right. Uh, all the management team is like a hundred percent of those <laughs> yeah. things. Right. Uh, kind of a funny way, but it was a, it's good conversations that empower and make people recognize that they are the, the heart of the business and what happens or doesn't happen is because of their action and all of our collective leadership actions. Yeah, I, I think that the default position in the industry, and speaking specifically to you listeners, is that bad things are happening in the business or things are hard because of external circumstances and flipping that switch is the game changer. And it might look like flipping that switch and joining a company like Nextstar or something like that. So you have the resources to take control and influence. So anyways, I know I kind of went off the rails there. Can we talk about investment, Chris? Can I put this one back on track toward like greenfield and investment strategy? Um, I've got a question around uh, obviously, you know, the, the private equity world, you know, that people are buying and flipping businesses and you know that it's a super competitive landscape, but your strategy is a little different, right? Much different than what you're seeing. And it's getting a lot of attention. Um, if I'm an owner operator today and I want to grow by way of acquisition and it's super competitive, or, um, I want to grow just you know, from, from a geographic perspective, um, can you kind of describe the two models, like the the model toward profitability in Greenfield and why you've chosen to go down that path and what are some of the pros and cons? Yeah, that's a great, uh, and that's exactly the the analysis that we did. And, and I don't need to tell you or any of the listeners, or listeners uh, about what asset prices and enterprise values look like in our space right now. Um, uh, but yeah, so we decided, I mean, Paul, my goal, so the other side of those goals that I mentioned, uh, we want, we can get there 
with a $2.5 million cash outlay, right? So we can get a $10 million business over 50% gross margins, customer acquisition spend down to 8% or less of revenue, and I can get there with about a $2.5 million net cash outlay. Did I you will learn that? that- with re- did you learn that um, in theory and apply it and it worked? Or did you learn that that's just the process that's worked for you after one or two? Yeah, well, with Nashville, that's what we're on pace to do. So Nashville yeah. was the learning. Nashville was the test bed, right? And, yep. and part of the reason I can do that is a lot of things. We centralize a lot of support services. So a lot of the people I'm hiring and, and putting in Nashville are really focused on uh, serving customers, but all yep. the calls are being booked here in St. Louis, right? And, yep. and the marketing team and a lot of support functions are here in St. Louis, um, so the marginal cost from an overhead perspective isn't near as great as building a business from nothing when you have the same brand. Heck, we can pull our marketing off the shelf for our TV spots in Nashville, right? Not recreating anything. Um, so it, the, the analysis from a financial perspective is a no-brainer. Now, all that's to say, it's a no-brainer if I have the leader who can execute and deliver on those so three the key. criteria. Uh, and that is the bigger constraint to growth. It's not the $2.5 million to launch a new market. It's having the, the people, the leaders that are capable of executing on that strategy. And that's where we're at today. And that's what's going to, that is what will drive our timeline for opening new markets. It's when we feel that we've assembled a core leadership team that has the right set of competencies uh, to then relocate into that market and execute at a high level. Uh, but on the acquisition side of it, for, to buy that same $10 million business that's maybe doing, say, 15%, even a million and a half dollars. I'm going to pay, call it six times, $9 million to get that, that $10 million business. Right. Uh, I get there in two and a half. Uh, and are there less complexities, uh, less complexities, less headaches, more complexity, more headaches. I mean, there's a trade-off there too, because you've got trucks and boots on the ground. Like what are the things to evaluate there? Yeah. So an, another data point that I think you, you'll find interesting, which lends, um, lends itself well to our greenfield strategy our marketing spend is a percentage of gross revenues in St. Louis is about three and a half percent. We've had, and that's been that way for about five years. So we, we've of, of gross revenues and we've grown over 30% a year. Um, and so when it gives us the confidence to go into that new market and say, well, we can replicate the success and get to that 8% threshold. But I, uh, back to your question around, uh, uh, well, say your question again, I want to make sure I answer it. Um, I'm just trying to understand like, the trade-offs that you would have from an investment perspective because yeah. of the upside of operational greenfield. challenges and things like that. Oh, greenfield is great. It's the same yeah. brand. It's the same, uh, it's the same marketing. I'm not inheriting a culture, right? I'm not having to have, it's not a change management problem where I have to get yeah. people to buy into the service system and how we serve customers. Uh, all of that I control from day one. Uh, and to me, that's so much more valuable. The, the processes we get to build from day yeah. one, the software day one is all the same. It's all integrated. Um, it, it, quite frankly, it's just, I think it's a better uh, better approach if we can keep it. The, the difference is it's a little bit slower, right? The, the yeah. financial sponsors are, are able to, uh, they'll hit 500 million in three years and it might take me 10, right? It just seems a lot cleaner. A Degree. lot cleaner, a lot faster. I mean, not, I mean, faster to, you're not having to go in and coach change and those sort of things. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Guys, I just, did you just see that? That's the first time ever in the history of this podcast where I had a fly land on my paper and buzzing right in my face while you guys were talking. They have flies in Phoenix. It was like a gnat. I don't even know what it was, but it landed right here. We don't have gnats. I escaped gnats by leaving the Midwest. Uh, (laughs) um, All right. Let me... (laughs) Sorry, man. That's never happened before. <laughs> Did you see you were looking at me funny? Uh, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, clap like Mr. Miyagi, like trying to capture with a pair of chopsticks. 
Um, okay, so I'm going to keep going down this path. Um, you know, like you, you've heard me mention um, on the podcast a few times now, like Evergreen Business, and I want to go down that path if you guys are cool, like heading down that way now. Um, We're there. Um, so from some of our conversations, Chris, and some of the, um, even like in the group chats we've had in some of these groups where I've seen kind of your opinion um, in regards to private equity consolidation, things like that. I love you ask so many of the right questions. And then when you've seen, um, you know, we had a, a, a really great customer of ours, Chad Satchel from um, um, Mobile, Alabama. Crap. Yeah, but hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hanson's. Oh my gosh, thank you, Hanson. Um, you know, who, who uh, sold recently and like, you were asking questions. I'm like, I wonder what the structure of the deal was. Like, what are the, you're asking all the right questions. I'm like, please, somebody answer that question. Please, somebody answer that question. Uh, it didn't get answered, but it was great because it started a really good dialogue. I love the way that your brain was working, the questions that you're asking. Um, and, and it's been huge. Like this whole, you know, if you ask some guys, they'll say, oh, it's been that way for three, four years. Like the last two years has been abnormally humongous in this consolidation space. So, that's obviously one option that many option that many people have taken advantage of, and I'm sure we'll see plenty more crammed through the last month and a half of this year, trying to get it done. But the your view uh, on the future of Hoffman is really like an alternative view uh, of a purpose driven, long term private ownership type company. So, with that being said, can you explain um, what? What an evergreen business is, this evergreen business I've been talking about. Can you explain to our listeners what that is? Uh, I can. And before I do, Chris, I'm going to go on a little tangent. And uh, the reason I'm going to do that is because I think it's relevant for, it really leads us to our decision to remain an evergreen business. Uh, and really, uh, it starts with my dad. So my dad, if, if I, and I hope you have the chance to meet him sometime. I'd love to. Love that. Is, is the most selfless guy you'll ever meet, right? If, if my brother and I didn't come into this business, he would have given it. Uh, to the people that have been with here from day one. And it's the reason why there's people that have been here decades, right, that have been with them since the beginning. Uh, and so when Joe and I came into the business, his, uh, he was excited about the change and the growth and the, the direction we were heading. And, and really, his only mandate to us was, was Chris and Joe, uh, it's our responsibility as family owners uh, to be good stewards of this business, not just for our own self-interest, uh, but for all the constituents, all the broadly defined stakeholders as he viewed it. Uh, it was our responsibility to be good stewards of this organization. So he effectively, uh, I, I mean, Chris Paul, he effectively gave us the business, right? Just and said, said, Chris and Joe, here it is. Uh, and it was with the understanding that, that Chris, Joe, build this business in a way that just isn't, just isn't about creating a win for you and your pocketbook. Build it in a way uh, that treats people with respect and dignity and creates opportunity uh, and, and makes this place um, somewhere that people want to work and take great pride in working here. So that, that was sort of the mandate. With that as the foundation, we said, well, what path can we go down that's going to best allow us to accomplish that win and stay true to that uh, uh, that mandate to focus on creating value for a broad group of, of stakeholders and constituents that depend on Hoffman Brothers in one way or another. So evergreen companies are companies that have committed, really the piece that you're pulling out uh, that's a little bit different of those seven Ps, Chris and Paul, the, the one that uh, is different in this landscape is the commitment to remaining private, uh, taking advantage of the ability of closely held private companies to have a longer term view uh, around how they're investing and the types of decisions they're making. And, and there's more flexibility uh, than some of our competitors in that space. And, uh, and what does that look like? How does that manifest itself 
uh, if I'm a financial sponsor backed organization, which by the way, I think it's incredible what they're doing and it's good for all of us. Uh, and I'm excited to see the businesses that they're building. So it's not at all taking away from what those, those folks are doing, but uh, the reality is they have limited partners that they have to return capital to, right? And the investment horizon uh, through which they're they're looking at these opportunities is finite, right? It's, sometimes it's two years and sometimes it's five years. Uh, my horizon, right? I, I care about value maximization for all those stakeholders over the next two decades, right? And I think that leads to a fundamentally different set of decisions. Uh, and we briefly mentioned, uh, Chris, about uh, even the, the school function, a lot of people doing it, right? Uh, and I've accumulated this a quarter million square feet back in this industrial park. I've uh, got a school, quite literally a 40,000 square foot school I'm purchasing, hiring, learning and development folks who spent a decade in Teach for America, who build curriculums, brought on an incredible chief human resource officer with tons of organizational development uh, and learning and development experience. And we're making big investments that I don't think uh, would make sense if I was a business looking to, to transact in the short term, right? Uh, but then I the ability to make these decisions around the markets we're entering, the type of business we're building um, that that lend themselves better to lo a long term investment. Right. And you can make it faster. We can make it very fast. Uh, my brother and I can get in a room and I think maybe our CFO would say we make decisions too fast. <laughs> <laughs> I would disagree. <laughs> Fail fast. Move on. That's the other comment, too, when I think about discipline in this space, people that have a commitment to remaining uh, uh, private, it's important, too, that um, when you when you start to generate success, that that success remains in the business and that you yeah. focus on creating new growth opportunities, because uh, growth, as everyone knows, is hyper expensive, right? I mean, buying 50 trucks a year is millions of dollars, right? Entering a new market, but buying 50 trucks a year is, is five million bucks a year, and you got to have the cash flows and the commitment um, uh, to reinvesting in order to really grow at that pace. Do you watch people around you that have a similar philosophy and then a similar operational model where they greenfield into a new town? Do you watch like, are most people successful or most people not? What, what do your peers look like? That's a great question. I don't have visibility into that. I, yeah. I would be, have you guys seen that? Have you seen many successful greenfield efforts? I have not, I would have listeners go back and listen to the Dave Geiger episode. He greenfielded into Baltimore, Baltimore and right. I think that it was pretty white knuckled for quite some time. And then it just took off, like took off. And I believe that was their first and maybe only one now that I think about it, but he did the same thing, bought the building, bought the people, painted the town orange. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. Just curious if you had some perspective on that. Yeah. The other piece, Chris, if I were to call out something on the uh, the that's without going through all the, the seven P's that define an evergreen company, and you hit on this initially, I, I think being able to connect the business to a purpose that's deeper than uh, replacing furnaces or air conditioners or water heaters or sewers, I think the mm -hmm. purpose component uh, is really important. And we do that a lot by getting in front of our team and talking about what that means. Uh, uh, several Pre-COVID, it was very frequent uh, at one point monthly where we're getting everybody together. Uh, now we have this great problem of the team being too big to be able to get together. <laughs> that actually is a decent segue into my next question. I'm going to read this kind of verbatim. And as I was kind of studying through the Evergreen site, um, I was just trying to understand wh what, if any, is any, it would be pushback. Like I'm just trying to think through because it's such a, it's, it's not normal in comparison, right? I don't saying I'm not saying it's not normal. It's just not normal in comparison. So I'm intrigued by it naturally. So when I read that evergreen companies are 
uh, often underappreciated and misunderstood by potential employees, um, customers. I guess it depends on the type of business that you're in. Does having an evergreen business deter you from recruiting any like top talent, upper management, or like leaders given the lack of equity potential? I love that question. Um, but one, evergreen business, particularly businesses that are family owned, um, being family owned can either become a detriment to the, the organization's success, right? A barrier. And that those are the stories we all hear about, right? The, the dysfunction, the infighting, family yep. problems, you name it. Um, family ownership can become a detriment or family ownership, I think, can become a great competitive advantage and asset if there's best practices in place around uh, governance, structure, alignment with family members, communication and relationship between shareholders and management. And so we've been very intentional around being best in class when it comes to governance and some of the tools that we're using, uh, uh, advisory boards and otherwise, that help help us steward this business in the right way. When it comes to top level talent, uh, uh, no, it's not a barrier. And here's why. All the same economic tools uh, that financial sponsors have to incent great performance and provide long-term incentives for executives, we can do those same things. Right. So we have a, a stock appreciation right program where we have units that operate very similar to, to stock options in the public company context. And there's a vesting schedule and growth. The, the share value is a function of EBITDA. So as EBITDA grows, uh, those shares become increasing, those units become increasingly uh, valuable. And there's redemption mechanisms, liquidity uh, events that, that are that are contained in there. Uh, but it's a good way uh, to think about how can we how can we attract people that that maybe wouldn't ordinarily ordinarily come to this industry uh, and help have them help us build the business in a way um, uh, that we probably otherwise couldn't do. Yeah, I man. The reason I was asking that question, I'm, I really was hoping, like I was trying to lob us up a softball for you to just absolutely crush on that one, <laughs> um, just because I could see the perception, you know, being like, oh, this is a family business like there's only so much room you can there's only so high you can go and there's a ceiling um but you're right like at the same time when it's a family business as long as you have the right governance in place you have the black and white like this is our jobs and we abide by those and you don't give anyone wiggle room because of, like for instance my my uh my mother worked for my company uh she retired from this company which is really great um shout out to sherry shout out to sherry she's not listening to this she retired um, I'm honest, but, um, and my, my uh, oldest daughter, you know, works for the company. She's on our Rhino track call reporting team. Uh, they get zero wiggle room on anything because I cannot set the precedence that like that would be, ever be okay for them to do something other than what we ask any employee to do. And you have to stick to that. Like, this is mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that goes sideways when you work with family in a business. If you don't draw that line and make sure that you stick to it, you cannot, you cannot set the precedence that it's, that it, any, it's any different, you treat them any different or it's forever changed and you have to try and regain that trust back. It's awful. So I love to hear you say that. I figured that would probably be a part of what you were going to say. I was trying to lob that up for you, but it's so incredibly important. Chris, funny, uh, funny example here. I'll, I'll put on my president hat for a minute and say, oh yes, this is great. I, I love this role. I'm the best one for it. I'll <laughs> take off my president hat and put on my shareholder hat and say, as soon as Chris isn't the best president, he better get out of the way or right. else he Growing shareholder value. And ultimately, uh, I would like to think uh, I have the wherewithal to recognize when there's someone that I think could do it better than me. And Good that's part of the reason I have a board and some of those governance structures in place. Uh, so there's other people who aren't afraid to tell me, hey, Chris, you're becoming the business's bottleneck. Good for you, man. And 
those are volunteer board members or they have kind of a long-term incentive, short-term incentive? They're paid and it's advisory, not fiduciary. Got it. Uh, but, uh, the folks that are on the board, uh, not one of them is doing it for the, the money, right? They're folks who've, who've been really successful and are interested in being uh, a part of this and contributing in this way at, at their respective stage of their careers. But Got it. Did, did somebody got, was it Nexstar uh, that provided resources to guide you through assembling a board? It's an unusual <clears throat> arrangement. Uh, no, uh, Nexstar didn't. And I think that would be a great resource for Nexstar to provide some education around that, that topic and really beef up some of the the benefits of, of multi-generational ownership and private ownership. It seems like the focus right now is so heavily on the M&A space, but I really think there's an opportunity around education, opportunity around best practices to remain private. But boards know that that was something up uh, uh, through other organizations and groups that I, I participate in. Uh, I've identified that it, it's clearly a, a best practice when it comes to uh, stewarding large and successful organizations forward. Um, and so I, I hired actually a, a there are companies that um, the, the woman who facilitates our board and is also a board member serves on public company boards, uh, and we've hired a company to do that to ensure that we're unlocking the most value. Uh, but no, it's it's not common, but it certainly, as you think about evolving the business and sort of advancing uh, the business's uh, governance structures, I think that's a critical part of it. Yeah. Um, kind of a detour here. Do you mind, Chris? I yep. just remembered pre-podcast, you mentioned you were in North Carolina. So I have a two-part question. Um, you were at a Nextstar event. So I want to know what are what are some of the talking points, exciting things about next year? And then I want to hear about what you learned down at Morris Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, next year for Hoffman Brothers or for Nextstar? So just for um, contractors in general, as you're in a room yeah. with 50 contractors. So what what's kind of buzzing around that's important and exciting and got people uh, talking about at planning meetings right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, a interesting comment. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's still, as you all know, that the t- topic of conversation seems to be really focused on just the consolidation and the activity yeah, in the space. Of course. And there are questions around what other disruptions will, will enter the scene, right? What other players, how will these intermediate p- people like Google and, and Amazon and folks are trying to insert themselves between our customers uh, and us, how will that continue to, to develop and play out? Um, but I think in general, in terms of the industry outlook, people, there's never been more excitement, right? There's so much opportunity. It remains to be, despite these big players in the marketplace, we're still hyper-fragmented. And the reality is most of these big markets can support three huge, successful players. Oh, yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful space where right. there's opportunity for so many people to succeed at every market, uh, which is neat. Good, good. Then the second part of that question is you had an opportunity to meet with the team down in Morris Jenkins. I live in Charlotte, so I always tell people there's a Morris Jenkins truck in my neighborhood 365 days out of the year. Um, I admire that company, but I don't know. I've never been over there. Well, I take that back. I've I've met with some folks, Jerry, when he used to work there. But anyhow, tell me about what you observed down at Morris Jenkins. I know there's a buzz going on down there, some exciting things going on. What's up down there? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I was in Charlotte. Um, that was maybe two months ago visiting Morris Jenkins, and that was really centered around interested in the learning and development, how they're thinking about building talent. That was awesome. Two weeks ago, I was in Raleigh, Durham, Fayetteville with Blanton's for a Nextstar peer group, which I think is what you were yeah. referring to. Um, uh, both incredible businesses. Uh, Morris Jenkins was, I mean, you think about the, the companies that are going to be able to grow are going to be the companies that can solve the talent issue, right? Everyone knows yeah. that. Everyone's talking about that. And, and how can you do so? You have to make bold 
big investments in the talent arena if you are going to come out on top. Uh, and I don't know exactly what that looks like, uh, but I, I'm very interested in exploring uh, how we can go become best in class when it comes to both producing new entry-level talent into the trades and also continuing to enhance the skills and build upon the skills and competencies of our folks in the trades. But beyond just technical talent, like we talked about earlier, I need to have an equal level of, of uh, uh, focus and, and investment on building leaders. Because how am I going to open those future markets if I haven't built a, a bench that's deep enough in St. Louis where I can pluck these rock stars who are interested and excited and motivated to go build our business and continue our purpose, extend our purpose into another market. Uh, and so I'm thinking more broadly about the learning and development role to include, uh, to encompass both technical talent and leadership development. And I think that's something Morris Jenkins has done uh, really well. On the Blanton side, peer groups in general, uh, I, I want to be sure to respect the, the privacy of, of Blanton's and what that process looks like. But in general, the uh, the peer groups are just an incredible learning event where a business invites you in uh, and really shows you everything behind the scenes. And they're doing that with the purpose of being vulnerable and open and saying, hey, tell me, contractors, how can I do better? Uh, and it's really a, a great event, a learning event where you get to see another company and, and see it alongside 50 other folks from across the country who are operating great businesses and then hopefully deliver value to that person that hosted you by having some really meaningful recommendations and insights and uh, opportunities that they can work on. Really cool. First peer group I've been to in five years with Nextar. Uh, <laughs> and now I, I think I want to host one because I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that folks could identify for us to help us get better. Oh, I'm sure. And, and shout out to Will and Shanna. They are so committed to learning and development on another level. So good friends of mine and I'll get to see them soon. They're great. It was cool. And they were great hosts. They, they hosted, a, they just had some great events, oh, I'm, I'm went sure. above and beyond to just make it a special event, bringing in a keynote and all kinds of stuff. So they were, Oh yeah, it was super cool. They set the bar high. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They're like, I'm sure it was a Ritz Carlton type of experience <laughs> knowing those guys. So Chris, sorry, I kind of detoured there a little bit. Uh, I just, I get, I, I'm fascinated by Morris Jenkins. I just think they do so many things right. And so I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that a little bit. So thank are, you for the detail. Are you fascinated by the 300 million plus <laughs> sale? I think that's a, by the way, to, to yeah. Ranch Group Ken Haynes, who is literally texting me during the show, even though I just said, hey, I'm about to do a podcast. And he's still messaging me knowing I'm doing a podcast. Um, I've been, I've been actually had the luxury, uh, the pleasure of being to multiple peer groups. And kind of being, since like you said, you kind of lift the hood and show everything. And and I've been asked to come in, you know, over my 14 years of doing digital for home services companies, um, to come in and kind of share tactics and things. And there, it's special. Like it's a pretty neat group. It's a tight group. It's usually fairly small, like you know, small. But everybody's so open about everything and the commitment to one another, and and just and not like holding things back. And kind of, it's pretty cool. It's pretty exceptional. I highly recommend if you're listening right now. Uh, to find a peer group, even if you're not next there's peer groups available. Like there's, there's people you can go and see a shop now. Like you can go and see, you just reach out to us. We'll connect you to somebody. Just tell me the size of business you're looking for and location and, uh, and service and I'll make it happen for you. But and you don't have to go to Southern California people. You don't know there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> and there's lots of options, lots of options in the United States of America. Um, I want to go into this because we're, we're, uh, you're going to say something, Chris. I was just briefly going to say, I think what makes those things so valuable for the folks hosting is if, if you can go into that with a level of vulnerability and mm -hmm. humility and just be totally open 
uh, to everything that's going to come your way, I think you'd be shocked at the value that can be unlocked. I think so often business owners today get caught up in having to maintain this facade of everything's great and everything's perfect and I'm doing so well. Uh, and you've got to be willing to, to show folks the underside if you're really going to get better. A yep. thousand percent. Thank you. You said a keyword vulnerability. I think there's so much strength in vulnerability, you know, um, and this is something that I've been working really hard on Ken Goodrich. And I think I've, I've, I've cracked it because I got him to stand up and cheer at the Phoenix Suns game last week and like clap and smile while he did it. He did all of those things together combined. He didn't do that when we first met him, Paul, even like the first three times. Dare so you. a little bit of vulnerability, like I'm still so a lot intense. of work in progress, but um, I want to, I want to go into this where we're probably coming up on an hour, which by the way, this has been fantastic. And I love everything that you're sharing. You are clearly put together um, and, and incredibly intelligent and running such a successful business that, um, you know, success is, a hundred percent a part of like you are going to, you're already successful. This thing is going to continue to be wildly successful, um, in nature. But what I'm curious to know is, is what does success look like to Chris Hoffman? Like, is it, is it, let me, let me, let me just share one quick thing with you. I have, I have never, Paul knows this about me and Rhino. I've never chased the dollar when growing this business. It's not been my main driver. Do I look at, at financials? Do I look at all my revenue? Do I have um, numbers in place that I'm going after in regards to like a giving fund? And like, yes, I have those things in place, but I've not, it's not been my motivator. My motivator is greater. And what I deem success isn't like some big gigantic payout. So mine is different. It's not always financial. To some people, it isn't completely okay. Like creating wealth is completely okay. Um, but what does success look like to you, Chris? Like, what is that? What is it you can say, man, I can walk away. This is success. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a different answer for everybody, right? And my 100%. brother, a, a lot of the conversations we have are, are around creating alignment around what it means to be a steward of this business. And I, I, you know, in this environment, as you can imagine, I get people tell, call and tell me I'm crazy for not having conversations or taking calls or considering uh, a transaction. But quite frankly, uh, Chris, if, if someone dropped hundred million bucks into my bank account tomorrow. I drive the same car. I'd live in the same house and I would eat at the same restaurants. Uh, so I think about what's going to make me happy. Absolutely, uh, It's going to be being purpose driven around the way we're building this business and seeing the people here that for the first time can uh, buy the house they want to buy, do these things for the family they've never been able to do. Uh, I mean, even just going to paying hundred percent of health insurance was such a huge win for us. I mean, I was probably oh, yeah. more excited about the ability to do that for our team. For sure. Uh, probably a lot of other people. So to me, I want to, that is what's going to give me uh, uh, the satisfaction that I'm looking for as, as I build this business. And oh, by the way, I don't think, you know, creating a lot of financial success is, is mutually exclusive or not able to obtain creating wildly incredible outcomes for your team. And what I'm focused on marrying those two things together in a meaningful way over the next 20 years. Um, and, and I think that's something we're doing. And I think that's something that resonates with our team. Yeah. To each their own. And, and listen, like I'm not hating on anybody. I think it's all great. I want to celebrate everybody's victories, like whatever it is. I just was curious to know what yours was yeah, given the yeah. type of business that you have. I will say this, um, you know, Ken, I want to reference Ken again, just because Ken and I have become so close over the last, you know, two years. And, and he shared with us on his transformation podcast. If you remember Paul, um, probably one of like, the most like impactful podcast we've had just because of the story behind it all. And the transformation that Ken Goodrich had had was he'd said 
all those years of him so hyper-focused on the business and building the business and the time lost with his kids and his family and and some of the neglect that came with that, not of ill intention. He's actually trying to provide by building, but that was that was the uh, the the leftover stuff that happened that he can't get back. He's got more money, you know, than yeah. he knows what to do with, and he said wasn't worth it. Yeah, loves the yeah. money, has the things, but he said can't get that back. Wasn't worth it. It's hard, you know, this is a, a totally different topic to unpack, but as, as you guys know, when you, when you look on social media, any kind, even if you have young kids, I have a young daughter and I'm terrified. Everyone curates this best version of their life uh, on social media. And usually that best version of life includes the, the nice things oh, and yeah. the big items and the flashy. And I feel like even, even business owners in our space who get uh, start to achieve levels of success, it's so quick and easy to derail that success and that reinvestment in growing your business and your people. Uh, by jumping too quickly into those things. And I think it's a message that that should be, I think, shared and, and spoken about more frequently is the importance of remaining uh, really committed and, and diligent and disciplined around how you're choosing to uh, uh, use the, the spoils of success, early success. Yeah. And I'll add to that, like you just made me think through some thoughts I've had recently about like, as an industry, we're not helping each other just by like, flashing a bunch of pictures of private jets i get it but like we're kind of like idolat what's it where you're making that an idol of um idolatizing i don't idolizing it, I'm kind of over that right like it's a it should be about more than that so yeah that's just kind of a little annoying thing cars and and private jets not you know that there's what? anything wrong with the you know things. What? like i, I get, get it. i get it i agree i think it's you know it's just the way somebody is kind of showing the like if it's genuine like you know we talk about gary vaynerchuk he's like yeah somebody will go and like rent a lamborghini take pictures with it and act like it's theirs and it ain't yours yeah. like that's it, stupid that's dumb I, if you're I, doing that I, stop I, doing that i just know that like people are doing those things to try to inspire people but i know that the reality the boots on the ground um the 99 percent of the industry there's a level of insecurity because they know that they're Bingo. working their butts off and they're, Bingo. they've got a $5 million business and there is no path to them to get a private jet. There's just not. Okay. Not everybody gets a jet. And so I just don't know if it's very helpful, and but it, anyways, and you don't even need it. You don't need it. <laughs> kids, um, like, kids like it's a big waste. It's like, it's unnecessary expense. It's ridiculous. Two good books that are short reads that you'll love psychology of money. Amazing. And then the guy who wrote the millionaire next door wrote a book called stop acting rich. Uh, And I think they're two incredible books because it talks about the relationship between happiness and money and just some incredible small life lessons that you read that. It's just a good reminder of. uh, Yeah. Well, good. There's two two good callouts. And disclaimer, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with private jets. Just quit posting pictures online and flexing on everybody. Right. Um, Ever since Ken called it commercial airline, a Walmart of the sky. Yeah. Walmart. I can never get on a plane. All right. Completely random. Search. Are you friends with Chad Peterman? Are you guys, are you and the Peterman brothers best friends? Not best friends, but both in next star together. And uh, I, I probably talk, talk to Chad a couple of times a year, text here and there. And uh, I just saw him at super meeting. Uh, uh, but yeah, no great business. And he was actually just had a bunch of our team members up to uh, uh, Peterman U to take a look at their, uh, how they're building the the school function. And then Top we actually 10. just did, he had to send, he did an onsite service system. And we sent 15 folks up there about two months ago. Dude. So yeah, we coordinate, we're close together in, in, in the country and um, we've worked together on a couple of things. 
It'd be a good reality show, Chris, to put the Hoffman brothers and the Peterman brothers to see who can be more successful and handsome, right? <laughs> I don't know if sure, I could pick. Dude. <laughs> I don't know about the hand. You know, it's funny. COVID hit and uh, uh, Grey Clips was closed. I get my hair cut at Grey Clips. And, and so I, I had hair and I, in the Marine Corps, I got my hair cut every week. So right. I was like, I got to get my hair cut. So I bought some clippers, shaved my head. And my wife goes, well, well honey, your, your hair looks like it did in the Marines, but nothing else does. <laughs> <laughs> from the chest down so i don't i'll, I'll take that <laughs> enough, but. yep that's right actually i could it, there's a lot of similarities in their mannerisms like between the two obviously both incredibly intelligent and you can tell super well spoken running successful businesses like this isn't an accident <laughs> you i can't imagine you guys aren't close Peterman, uh, chad peterman uh we've become close to he's a customer of ours like i'm from in, in that area so like i have that little home connection for me um but i just want to say this Dude, congratulations, man. Like, th this is awesome. It's your dad started this thing, and you and your brother are involved in it, and it's like you're taking this thing, you know, sky's the limit for you. You've got a plan. You're executing. You've got the processes in place. You have all the right things going for you. You're going to stay private. You can make fast decisions. This is a cool story. I love when you speak up in these Facebook groups and share your opinion. I'm encouraging you to do it more because you do it in a respectful way, and you are a question asker. You know, you like make a statement, ask questions, and I think you genuinely want to know the answer. I think you genuinely want to understand the answers. That's kind of the vibe I've got from you. But, dude, you guys are running an exceptional business, and I commend you. And I compete against you in that market. I got two big players in that market, and I compete against you. And you probably can't share. I'm curious who's in this market. I have Scott. Huff. I have Scott Lee. Scott Lee and Hoff. Both great businesses. Hoff is next. I think they just joined recently. Oh, good. Um, yeah. I, I came out to their uh, their little, you know, end of year shindig and went to the barn, the Hoff barn on Hoff compound, which is basically what it is, and got to, you know, have some drinks with those guys. And, and just a, a phenomenal family. Shout out to my Hoff family. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, listen, congrats, dude. I'm excited to watch your journey. I really am. And, and hopefully this is, you know, for you and I and, and, um, and Paul and yourself that this is the start of a great relationship, you know, and an ongoing relationship to kind of watch and be a part of the journey and just see how it goes from here. And typically what I would do is ask at the end of the, at these podcasts, like, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, you kind of talked about it when we're talking about what does success look like to you? I think you kind of, you covered both of those things. So I'm going to bypass that question and just say, Man, keep after it. Keep your foot to the floor. I'm excited to watch what happens for you. Um, if you could, for our listeners, um, maybe just leave like one solid piece of advice. Now, let me give you a little context. We have listeners that are GMs, owners, you know, one truck, you know, one chuck in a truck, you know, all shapes and sizes, manufacturers, vendors, the whole deal. So I'm going to focus kind of more on the actual contractor who's, um, maybe within like the first few years, first few years of their business, you could give them one really great piece of advice. What would that be, Chris? Yeah, I had a meeting this morning with three new uh, uh, plumbing field service managers. And the comment I made to them was, you know, it, it took each of you 20 years to become the incredible plumbers that you are today. Uh, and now you're taking on this leadership role. Uh, and I think it's really important that you acknowledge that building those leadership competencies takes just as much effort and commitment and intent uh, to do those things uh, and to become that that effective, capable, high-performing leader. And so I would, I would, uh, the thing I would say is the field manager role in any business, I think, is probably one of the most important roles, right? You are coaching, motivating, training, inspiring the people that are serving your customers. 
Uh, those are the people doing it. Uh, and I think being very intentional around who's in those roles and uh, how are you picking based on what attributes are you picking who's in those roles? And then how are you continuing to make sure uh, that those new leaders that are newly in those roles are continuing to grow and evolve and be the type of leader you need to scale your business and to have the impact on customers that you want to have. So I, the, the takeaway for me is that field management role, that frontline role and every business of every size has that role. Uh, whoever's wearing that hat, making sure that that's the right people in those seats and that you're equipping them with the knowledge they need to be successful. Bam. Just like that. Good job. Just like that. Well, Great Chris, insight. thanks man for giving us an hour and 15 minutes of your time. I appreciate you. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. I, I loved this this hour with you guys, and I, I got to keep tuning into the podcast. You guys are doing great stuff. Thanks, brother. I thank appreciate you, you that. Too. Listeners, guess what? Happy Thanksgiving in the next couple of days <laughs> because when this particular podcast airs is on the Tuesday right before Thanksgiving. So uh, hopefully you have some good time to recharge, reconnect with your family, tell them you love them, um, have a few beers. Say cheers to, to Chris. I, I love Thanksgiving. I love being with my family. Um, I have to go to... I'm a, I'm as traditional as it gets when it comes to uh, the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving. I go all out. I'm all in. I love this time of year. Um, and I have to go to Disneyland in L.A. for Thanksgiving in the weekend because my middle daughter's in a, a big-time soccer tournament, so I got to go. So I'm not going to be with any of my external family other side besides my you know immediate family my you know my wife and my kids which by the way matters the most to me but it's nice to be with everybody and so i'm a little bit bummed but to all you listening um man from me and tall paul you know and to the point in all of our little family here um we hope you have a happy thanksgiving and, and paul i'll tell you what would you want to go ahead and, and uh and, and kick us out man with the uh with review yeah, and this one is actually pretty special because I recognize the person who submitted the review. So you I'll tell do? you about her afterwards. You but do because I, I didn't. I'm, I was trying to figure out how to pronounce the name. I must be like something. Oh, I, I got gotcha. you. I know this one. So informative and entertaining. Five stars. S. J. Lipka. Sarah Lipka says. Oh, usually, when I dedicate time to learning more about my trade, it feels like homework. Homework I'm happy to do, but still a chore. This podcast is a nice and relaxing way to learn about what is going on in the industry how successful companies find new ways to win. And I even pick up a few marketing tips. Keep up the good work, guys. I enjoy the refreshing and motivating content. Thank you, sweet Sarah. So in my little HVAC journey, my first day on the HVAC, in the HVAC industry, um, my manager walked me over to this young lady's desk and sat me down and said, she's going to train you on commercial rooftop units and curb adapters and all these sort of things. And that, and Sarah was my coworker at Lennox, my first job out of college. And she has gone on. She's now a regional at Fujitsu, I believe. That's right. Yeah. I hope I get that right. And talks about things like strategic electrification, which she has talked <laughs> to me about, um, which is selling more mini splits. But Sarah, I love you. Thank you for the review. And thank you for listening. Wow, that's pretty cool. That works so good. She's wonderful. God, Sarah, thank you so much. Listeners, man, we appreciate you guys so much. Obviously, reviews like that, I say this over and over and over again, man. The more you leave, the better it is for us, man. It sure makes our hearts feel good, and it lets us know, like, hey, we're doing a good job. Um, and again, you know, for uh, any of our guests that are on, um, we love if, if there's a particular one that you want to drop in there because we make sure that they get it as well. So, Chris, again, I appreciate you so much, man. Keep kicking ass in your business. TP, I appreciate you, brother. Paul, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving with your family. Same with you, Chris. And to our Thank listeners, you. again, have a happy Thanksgiving. Until next time, we'll see you.